0: Alright, right, guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like for you to turn in your your Bibles to the New Testament to Colossians. We're doing a series through Colossians called Our Life with Christ. And and Colossians is is really a good letter. I would encourage you to read it through several times and kind of grasp what Paul is talking about. One of the things that Paul is trying to address here, he's trying to do two things. He's trying to strengthen the Colossian church. He didn't start this church this church started out from another church with folks that he had led to the Lord there. They then went and started another church, which was in in Colossae. And um, they were needing to know about their relationship with Jesus. So a lot of the emphasis of this letter is about that. But he's also warning them because when you are growing in your relationship with Christ, you've got to recognize that there are, you have an enemy who's real and he's going to bring by people to get you on the wrong course he, he warned earlier about not letting anyone cheat you and, and I'm, I'll be honest with you folks even in North American Christianity we're not perfect but there will be people who will cheat you out of the relationship with Christ and we'll talk a little bit about that today because the focus today is is don't settle for less The emphasis of the passage we're going to talk about today is don't settle for less in your Christianity. What do you mean by that, George? Well, I have have a couple points I want to make here before I get right into the passage. And that is, is that oftentimes I find that believers have a wrong idea about the spiritual life. A wrong idea. What do you mean a wrong idea? Well, it's not like somebody came up and said, here, this is what I want you to do. It's kind of a subtle thing. It happens over time. You can even start out right, but somehow you get influenced to do wrong things and you think that that now is the Christian life. What do you mean? Well, here's my first point. For many believers, the Christian life is not seen as life-giving. For many believers, the Christian life is not seen as life-giving. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So this morning you woke up, whenever you woke up, You either woke up ready to take on the world or like there are some in my house. I won't mention their names. They're not morning people. They got to have a shower and a coffee first before you can even talk to them. Okay. I'm not like that. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to go and that makes those people angry. Okay. Now here, here's the thing. You woke up this morning and so a battle began. Do I really want to come to church today? You know, I kind of got an idea what my day is going to be like. Uh, you know, maybe today I'll just catch, I'll catch, I'll catch it on the app. I'll catch it on the app. I'll watch it later on the app or on YouTube or Facebook. Because, you know, I only get one Sunday. So this is battle that's going on. You know what I'm talking about? That, that's, that's my imagination of what the battle is. The problem is, is when I have that battle, I'm the pastor who has to come and speak. Did you know what I'm saying? But that happens for me as well. So I don't have a choice. I have to come, okay? But for you, you could decide what to do. And, and so what's going on there? It's not life-giving to you. The Christian life isn't life-giving. So when you think about doing devotions... Oh, yeah, it's wonderful, but then there's something that really is dragging you down about that. Or all the other things that are expected of you in Christian life. So for many believers, the Christian life is not seen as life-giving. And can I tell you why? Because somebody came to you and gave you a wrong idea about what spirituality was. Somebody came along and gave you a wrong idea about what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. What do you mean? Well, here's my second point. They see the Christian life in terms of actions to complete. They see the Christian life in terms of actions to complete. And so when you see your faith in terms of what you're doing... That's not life-giving. It becomes a drudgery after a while. Dude, do you understand what I'm saying? If you see your Christian life in terms of coming to church on Sunday morning, or, or giving in the offering, or reading your Bible on a certain amount of days, and, and serving, or doing this, and, and all of that, if after a while, that just, can I be honest with you, that gets boring. It just becomes routine. To the point that it sucks the life out of you. And, but here's the problem. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity isn't a set of tasks to complete. Christianity is a relationship. Okay, here, here again, let's get back to what, to an illustration of relationships, human relationships. If your marriage was simply, or your relationship with your significant other was simply, a list of tasks to complete, that would get boring after a while, wouldn't it? There's got to be something more there than, okay, today at uh, 7.10, I've got to talk to them for 15 minutes before they go to work. And uh, seem like I'm interested in what's going on in their day. Oh, you know, when they get home today, I'll help them with dinner. And yeah, I'll help with the laundry. And, you know, when we talk later and we watch that show together, afterwards we'll have that 15 minutes of conversation so that they feel like they're loved. And that would be pretty boring, right? In fact, that doesn't work, does it? You see right through that. Relationships don't work that way. I know some people try to make their relationships work that way, but they'll figure it out after a while that that's not how it goes. See, the same thing's true in our relationship with God. The same thing's true. We say, George, how did we get there? I'll tell you how you got there. It was subtle. You were influenced there. Someone came along and distracted you from the true relationship with Jesus to embrace something else. And he's going to warn you about that today. We're going to look today at verses 16 through 19. And it's, it's basically, he's going to emphasize two things here. We're going to see, don't let, that, that phrase is going to happen twice here in this passage. Once is in verse 16, once is in verse 18. But he's going to focus on the reality that you and I need to be on guard. You need to guard your relationship with Jesus. You ever met somebody who guards their relationship with the significant other in their life? They make every effort to make sure that that's guarded. You've got to do the same thing with your relationship with Jesus. Don't let something distract you. And I'm going to tell you right now, don't let church culture distract you. Is that possible, George? Oh, you better believe it. We're going to see here in a moment because Paul's going to talk about it here. So let's look at it together. If you have your Bibles, look at chapter 2. Verse 16 is going to be up on the screen. Here's what he says. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath which are a substance, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Verse 18, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into things which he has not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with increase that is from God. All right, so here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to see that you and I need to take some precautions with our Christian life. We're going to talk today about you guarding the most wonderful relationship you've ever had with anybody in the universe, and that's your relationship with Jesus. Jesus. And you're going to have to make some efforts. And so I'm going to go through this with you. I'm going to give you six points. And you're going to probably be surprised by some of them. Because as I talk about them, you might think for a moment, yeah, that happened to me. In fact, the first one happened to me. Here's the first one. He says it, verse 16. He says this, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. The word judge there, a a, a better translation would be condemn. Let no one condemn you. Okay, so here's the point. Don't allow others to pressure you concerning your faith walk. Don't allow others to pressure you concerning your faith walk. So, okay, let me just kind of give you an example of what I'm talking about here. As you know, I've told you before that I came to Jesus when I was 19 years old. I was a freshman engineering student at the University of South Carolina in 1985. I didn't come from a Christian family, okay? Now, my dad was raised in a Baptist denomination, and my mom was raised Lutheran in Germany, but we didn't go to church. We we never went to church. We didn't talk about church. We were irreligious. Now, we would say we're Christian, but we didn't go to church. So as a freshman engineering student, I came to Jesus. Now, I'll be honest with you. I just wore jeans and flannel shirts and T-shirts growing up. So that's what I went to school. You know what I'm saying? That's how I went to school. That's how I went to college. So I get saved, go to a Bible study on campus, come to Christ, and I'm being encouraged to go to church. So I go to church through this little bitty, little small Independent Baptist Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. And I would travel there. And I learned real quick, because the pressure was there, you can't come to church in flannel shirts. I've come a long way, haven't I? Okay? You can't come to church in flannel shirts and jeans. So you need to have a suit or a coat and a tie. So I go home to my daddy and I say to my daddy, Daddy, do you have a coat I can borrow? And he did. He had a coat, three sizes too small, so I put it on. And he had a tie. Now you gotta remember this is the mid eighties, but my dad's suit and my coat, his coat and tie were from the early 70s, so it was this puke colored wide tie. You know, they weren't as narrow as they were in the eighties. They were like big. So I'm wearing that to tr- Why did I dress that way? Pressure conformity. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So it's not just that. Notice what he says here. Don't let anyone condemn you concerning food or drink. So where you go to eat. Maybe you've been in a church where they basically listed what restaurants you couldn't go to. Ever been in a church like that? Can't go there. Can't be seen there. Paul's Paul's saying here, don't let let something condemn you there. Look, don't even let somebody condemn you as to whether or not, and, and this was happening in the Colossian church, because remember at this time, most of the churches at this time in history were made up of Jews. So they would be observing Jewish festivals, Jewish new moons, Jewish dietary restrictions. And of course there would be Gentiles coming to faith. And so the pressure would be on them to what? Adhere to the law. That was always a battle in the early church, to adhere to the law. And so Paul's coming along and saying, look, with your relationship with Jesus, you can't settle for less and let people pressure you into conformity of doing certain things. Because here's what they would say. Well, you're not right with God if you're doing that. You ever heard that statement? You're not right with God for dressing that way. You're not right with God for going there. makes me remember, I've maybe shared this with some of you, I was in, when I was a young Christian, I was in the National Guard at the time, and before I was, was involved with this college group, and the college group, what we would do sometimes on the weekends is we'd go and get a video, some sappy chick flick thing that all everybody in the group would watch together. And So we went to this video place in West Columbia there, outside of Columbia where University of South Carolina was, and as we're walking in, I see this old deacon from our church walking by. And, and I'm not friendly because, hey, he's from our church. Hey, Mr. Bogan, how you doing? And uh, his name was Bogan. That's a good southern name, right? Mr. Bogan. And and he would, oh, hey, how you doing? And he'd wave. And So we went in, got our video, went and did our thing. Didn't think anything of it. Went away for two weeks to Fort Knox for our two weeks of training with the National Guard. Came back. I'm in a prayer meeting on Wednesday and in in our church there, that little church, and I love that church, we we would break up into groups of men and women. So I'm in a group of men and we have prayer and at the end of the prayer time, I'm getting ready to leave to go back to the campus house where I'm living and Mr. Bogan speaks up and says, boy, what were you doing in that place? What place? What place? I just kind of looked at him, dumbfounded, and I said, Mr. Bogan, what place are you talking about? That video place. You know, I went over and looked in the window of that place during the week, and that's not the kind of place a Christian young man should be going. Now, what you watch in the privacy of your own home on cable was one thing, but walking into the store in public, that's another. Now, did you hear the hypocrisy in that? Pressure. Now, here's the problem with the pressure stuff. Can everybody keep the rules? Especially the people who emphasize them, right? See, condemnation is often used to force conformity. That's the first thing I want you to see. Condemnation condemning you, that's the second thing. Second thing, condemnation is often used to force you to conform to some sort of Pattern, thinking. It's all about control, isn't it? Now let's stop for a moment. Let's remind ourselves of something here. When Jesus came and saved you, did he save you because of you? Did He save you because you were doing all the right things or you didn't do enough bad things? Was, was that how it worked? No. His forgiveness. was it conditional based on all of that stuff? No, see, see, this stuff distracts you. It distracts you from the true message of the gospel. Now listen, it's not saying you can go do whatever you want to now because when you know Jesus, it's just like with any other relationships, when you're in a relationship you're not going to want to do something to hurt the other person right isn't that true so it's not like oh I'm I'm I'm, 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 uh, I'm whatever I can do whatever I want to no 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 you're in a relationship with God but don't settle for less so here's the third thing I want you to see look with me at verse 17 all of these things have a purpose what is that verse 17 which are a shadow of of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Here's what I want you to see. Our religious actions are only a glimpse of a greater reality. So all of these new moons, these festivals, their dietary things, that they were Jewish, that they were being condemned into doing, they were were only a glimpse of a greater reality, the greater reality being Jesus. So I want you to stop for a moment. The things that we look as judgery, oh, having to come to church, or having to do my devotions, or prayer to... That's only a a glimpse of a greater reality. What's the greater reality? One day, instead of you praying, you're going to talk to him face to face. One day, instead of you reading and waiting for him to speak to you, you're going to hear him speak to you. One day... Instead of gathering as a group of believers and all of our imperfection, we're all going to be perfected and be with Jesus all together. Do you understand? It's a, it's, it's a glimpse of a greater reality, a greater reality of the relationship. Do you understand? These are just glimpses of a greater reality. That's what he's pointing out here. They're not things to force you into thinking the relationship is A drudgery or life-sucking, but it's what? A picture of something that's greater coming. See, it's all about how you look at it. See, this is the reality. So then he comes to what, what really is the second main issue here of not allowing something. Here's what he says. Look at me at verse 18. He says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. What's going on here? Don't allow others to influence and cheat you of your reward. All right, so let me just stop. I'm going to say this to you right now. If you haven't realized this, you need to. Not everyone who says they're a pastor is a pastor. Not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Do you understand that? Don't just accept that. Because, my friends, there are people who are out there and some of them are on your radios. They're on your TV, they're on YouTube, they're showing up in your Facebook feed because your friend shared it. By the way, can I, can I stop? Let, let's, let's be educated about Facebook. Simply because your friend shared it doesn't mean it's true. Okay? Simply because your friend shared it doesn't mean it's true. They could have shared something that was totally wrong. But you'll think it's good because your friend shared it. And so what I'm saying is, is there are people out there who are influencing you. And what's happening here, what do you mean influencing you and I to to a point where we're cheated out of our reward? Here's the thing. You are going to one day be rewarded this is what we don't seem to focus our time in teaching you about is, is that there is a blessing awaiting you because of your relationship with him. What are you talking about? All right, well, here. Let's, let's, all right, let's go in our Bibles. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just go back a few pages, all right? It's not going to be on the screen, but let me just explain to you what it's talking about here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 11. He says this. For no other foundation can anyone lay than with that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so the foundation of everything, the foundation of our church, the foundation of your life is what, folks? Jesus. All right, so here's what Paul says there. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, hay, wood, Hay, wood, hay, straw and each man's work will be become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is and if anyone's work which he has built on endures he will receive a reward but if anyone's work is burned he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. All right, so what's he talking about here? You and I, he's, he's given an illustration here. Here's what I want you to listen. You are building on a foundation in your life, the foundation of Jesus in your, with your salvation. And you are building up for the future. And you're building, and here's the building material gold silver precious stones wood hay stuff and straw now it doesn't tell you what is what now the problem is is we sometimes think that the stuff that we're influenced in that we've been condemned into the pressured into is the stuff that will be seen as good you ever been pressured into well you got to go out there and serve 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 But you go out there and serve, serve, serve. But you're not doing it for Jesus. You're doing it because somebody pressured you into it. Welcome to laying and building up with wood, hay, stubble. By letting somebody else influencing influencing you into things that are not a part of the Christian life, that are actually a part of a legalistic system, that's going to get burned up in the end. But what counts gold, precious stone, silver, in the end, that will be what? Refined. So one day, your reward, you're laying up for yourself a reward, but one day there's going to be folks, when they get up there, they don't have nothing. They'll be saved. Isn't that what the passage says? But everything else is what? Burned up because their motives were wrong. The reason why they did it was wrong. Their focus was wrong. Listen, can I be honest with you? I realized this one morning I was, I was swimming in the morning and, I, and when I swim, you know, I'm doing the laps and so I'm trying to keep track of how many laps I'm doing. But I, I think and I pray as I'm thinking and I was thinking about Jesus, what are you pleased with? Is it what I accomplish in this life? And I kept coming back to the same point. It's not what you accomplished, George. it's my relationship with you that's what's important and what happens is is that we can allow others to influence us away from the relationship to that which is not important anymore and one day when we go to be with him we're going to think oh man it's going to be yeah you're going to be saved but you won't have anything isn't that what the text is saying? So here in Colossi, he's telling them, don't let anybody cheat you out of your reward. Because there's more to life than right now. In fact, can I be honest with you? If you think about right now in terms of forever, this doesn't even measure as a second. But what I do right now impacts later on, isn't it? Okay, so what's he saying here? All right, so here's what he's wanting you to understand, especially when you look at these influencers, and and I'll be honest with you, folks, some of them look and start out looking good, but then later on they're revealed to be bad. But here's what you need to focus on, because Paul tells us here, he says, look at verse 18, verse 18. He's saying, let me go back to Colossians, got to find my place. Verse 18, he says, Taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Here's what I'm saying. The understanding of these influencers emerged from their pride. All right, so here's the test. And use it on me. Who are the people who are influencing you in your Christian life? Think about who they are. And then take a moment and pause and reflect upon why are they doing what they're doing? Is it for their own ego and pride? or is it for Jesus and the sake of others? if you would pause for a moment, and I would be honest, this is a litmus test for any pastor everywhere or any Bible teacher or anybody that's on television or whatever, if you would pause for a moment. Now, some of them, it's pretty obvious that when they're talking about they want a jet, well, you can almost guarantee Jesus doesn't need a jet, Right? You can, pff, all right, that was settled. But there's some that are a little bit more complicated than that. And we live in the Internet age now where you can find out real quick who's making millions of dollars in secret salaries. But you're like, wow, he really gave a good message. Yeah, he may have gave a good... Here's, here's the thing, folks. Can I, can I help you with something? The test of a leader is not how he speaks... The test of a leader is how he lives his life. Because the test of a false prophet is he speaks well and deceives many. So the test of a leader is not his speech, his message. It's his what? Life. Life. So these influencers, they, their understanding, their quote understanding is, merges out of their pride. That's what he wants to put here. And guess what they're doing? They're leading you to settle for less in your Christian life. They're leading you to less. So that brings us to the reality of where these guys are at. So here's what he's saying final thing look with me at verse 19 he says this not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together by the joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God here's what I'm saying the reality is is that these influencers have lost their connection to Jesus Christ that's reality When you look at these guys, they've lost their connection. And what you want is just like you, you want somebody guiding you who's connected just like you're guided. That's what Paul's doing here. All right, so let's bring this all down to where, where it needs to be. Let's wrap this up, because here's the reality, okay? I'm going to give you the same point that I gave you for, since we've done this series. This is where it is, okay? You have to decide to get serious about your relationship with Jesus. Now, as we are moving along, that kind of becomes a fuller picture as we move along in this epistle of what that means. So that, what that means is, is more than just saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to get serious about Jesus in my life. Okay, we can say that and still be led in the wrong way. Do you understand? But as we've been going along in this book, in this letter, he's, he's been opening up that more and more. So for instance, when you talk about getting serious about Jesus, what that does not mean is, is being pressured by other people into what they think a Christian should be. Because that's wrong. Forcing you into some sort of conformity so that we all act right. Now there are churches that are like that. I have been in those kind of churches. And, And I'll be honest with you, they're not happy. And it's a revolving door. Because after a while... That just wears on you and you leave. Or you get condemned out of the place. Did you understand? But what what we're talking about here is if you get serious about your relationship with Jesus, then you realize that the most important thing in your life is your relationship with Christ. Because number one, it's not about you, because who are you? Well, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And you could not do anything to gain that salvation. Folks, you can't do anything to keep it. Maybe you need to write that down. You can't do anything to keep it. Really? So let's stop for a moment. So, okay, I think about that. Think about some independent Baptists in in South Carolina, where I'm from. And and, and folks, here's the thing you could dress the right way going to church. I mean, you got your suit, your hair's just right, you got the right Bible, and you're there for Sunday school and church, and you're tithing 10%, and you're serving. And you do that all of your life. You don't go to the wrong places. You only go to the right places. Can I tell you the truth about that? That didn't gain you any closer relationship with Jesus than anybody else. Now you think you're closer because of it but all that proved was is you were influenced in the wrong way. In fact, I'll have to tell you what the danger of that is. The danger of that, that is, and I've seen it, I've lived it with my own life. You begin to think that you're right with God not because of Jesus, but because you're doing all the right stuff. Did you understand what I'm saying? And as long as you're doing all the right stuff, you're okay. Well, the problem is, you might not be okay. See, so you've got to get serious about your relationship. And what does that mean? It's recognizing, Jesus, I'm only only here with you because of you, not because of me. And Lord, that's why I have a grateful heart, because I know who I am. I'm a mess. And you died for me and saved me in spite of me. And you want to spend time with me? See, this is what Paul's trying to get to you. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Don't allow others to mold you into something, but allow the relationship to mold you. Do, Do you know what I mean? Allow the relationship to mold you. That's what he's looking at here. And as we progress along in this book, you're going to see more and more as he explains that to you. And I hope you'll read ahead yourself and ask God to speak to you through the passage. Let me pray for you.